as is our tradition. Um, <laughs> today is the uh, 31st of May, um, which is, um, somebody help me here, 41 days of the Omer. Um, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you give us. Thank you for your word. It is the one thing that we are sure of. And Father, because you have said it, we do not just assume uh, and uh, uh, act upon uh, as if it is true, because it is not just us, Father, but that it is true outside of us, that in the domain of, uh, and outside the domain of time, it is true. It is not dependent upon our agreeing. It is simply true. And we thank you that you have spoken and we have heard. We ask that you might strengthen our faith by hearing. And Father, we ask that you might uh, teach us how we can be the disciples that you require. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. And I'm reading so I don't mess it up this, this week. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us regarding the counting of the Omer. Today is 41 days, which are five weeks and six days of the Omer. The compassionate one, may he return for us the service of the temple to its place speedily in our days. Amen. Selah. We are looking at the last, uh, this is the last lesson, the last chapter for the book of Matthew, uh, as we, this is the last part of part three. And um, for those of you who are planning to be here next week, that will be, uh, Sam will be teaching a class on the Messianic difference. Uh, and it uh, looks like that will be a very good, something that you can spend your uh, June and July doing. Uh, in the meantime, uh, be praying for our uh, beginning sometime, hopefully in August, on, uh, on the next class that I'll be a part of in here. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. This is Revelation 15, 3 through 4. Uh, a remarkable thing that a lot of people do when they read the book of Revelation and they get to chapter 15. Uh, it, they're suddenly drawn to the concept of the Song of Moses and go, wow, I wonder what that's all about. And you know, Of course, those of you who study the Torah know that there are two Songs of Moses and you're very acquainted with them and very familiar with them. So it doesn't sound odd at all that you would keep reading this. And of course, if you knew that, then the whole book of Revelation looks different anyway because, uh, because all it is is uh, it is the beginning repeated. <laughs> um, last week, we looked at the crucifixion and we saw that big switch. Uh, the switch between Yeshua, Bar Abba, or as he's referenced in Greek and then transliterated in English, Barabbas, and Yeshua HaMashiach, that is the Messiah, and how the switch took place. And in fact, uh, the one who was supposed to die was replaced with the one who was perfect and never, never uh, deserved to die. Uh, and we also saw him crowned as a king. Uh, certainly it was a crown of thorns, but it was a crown, no question. Uh, we saw the name over his, uh, over his uh, execution stake, which was, uh, in fact, Yeshua, king of the Jews. Um, and it doesn't say he called himself, as they complained, right? It didn't say he called himself. He was declared. He was king of the Jews. Um, 
what we're waiting for is his crowning the second second time. This is Matthew's really his his climax. This this chapter, chapter twenty eight, and last week were really his climax. It's the reason why he's writing this all down. He's trying to make a point. Unfortunately, a lot of us have missed the point. Uh, the point that we've missed is because the focus on chapter twenty seven, as we did last week, and the uh, and the substitutionary atonement, as it's called. Uh, the the working out or the reenactment of the Akedah, or if you would say the reverse of that, the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, a reenactment of the yet future uh, binding of the Son of God, we see that that's worthwhile focus. It's a powerful focus. But that's not the reason why Matthew wrote this book. Uh, Matthew wrote this book so that we would understand and act upon the truth that the kingdom of God is heaven. Is uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, and we need to respond by repenting. That's you know he's, he ends the same way he starts. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Go to Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verse eighteen. Where does Matthew twenty-eight take place? Well, first of all, actually, let me while you're going there, let me read verse one. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn. Mary, or Miriam, uh, Magdalene, which is uh, uh, a place up in, near the, uh, the Kinneret, uh, near the Sea of Galilee, and the other Mary, or Miriam, this is, not, this is not the mother of Yeshua, came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Wow, this is the resurrection, right? Um, verse 6, he is not here, they said. For he is risen, and he said, Come, let us come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciple that he is risen from the dead, and, in, and indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And then we see this, this uh, um, scene, and a lot of times, the, this is where the Gospels, the, the, especially the Synoptic Gospels, get kind of merged into one here and and then we see this scene that we're going to read in verse uh, in verse 18 of Matthew 28 where uh, he gives what is called by some this great commission in fact my Bible verse 16 says the great commission and a lot of people kind of just without reading just kind of assume this is all like on the Mount of Olives and you know he's you know go and make disciples and then he like rises up into the clouds and is seen in people's minds and that's not at all what happens of course this is something different this is the response. The first thing you need to remember is when he was risen from the dead, what did the angels tell him, tell his disciples to do? Go to Galilee. He's going to meet you there. Well, obviously they have a little wait. It's going to, it's going to take a little while. In fact, there's, there's two of his disciples on the way out of Jerusalem the next day and they're like, well, I guess, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll go, but we're leaving Jerusalem anyway. You leave, leave during the feast? <laughs> yeah, these are the, 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 the ones in the road of Emmaus from, uh, from Luke. What we, what we see here is um, he, they're told to go up to Galilee. As a response to the resurrection, they're told to go to Galilee. Now, verse 18. And Yeshua came and spoke to them, his disciples, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What does that mean? What's that mean? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, I mean, but what authority? In what way? Is this something that just happened? Or was something that previously happened? 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Let me let me just just you know this is the way that this is the way that Hebrew thinking goes. Uh, you don't people say you know Yeshua never declared himself to be Messiah, which is a factual statement. Didn't say he was a Messiah. Didn't say other people didn't say Messiah. He never said I'm Messiah. He, absolutely factual. Not that is not incorrect. Why? Not because he was well he was trying to hide it from some certainly, but not because he was trying to hide it. The reason why is because you don't declare something. That's the way we think. By the way, I'm president of the United States, and you look at me and go, No, you're not. Well, why not? Why don't you think so? I declared it. If I say it, it must be true, right? My declaration. You take what I say for every other thing. I believe. Uh, uh, I believe that God is one. I mean, we have statements of faith we make, right? And people go, Oh yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, I believe that's. I believe that's true for you, right? What's the difference? Declaring yourself to be president or acting like you're president? In Hebrew thinking, you don't declare squat. It's not about declaring anything. It's about doing it, right? Mm-hmm. So when it says here, all authority has been given, it's not because all of a sudden, you know, the mantle of authority had been placed upon him and, and now he can finally start acting like a king. He was the king. It was evident. He was the Messiah because it was evident or will be evidenced. The point is that you don't just say stuff. You just do it. You do it and everybody goes, ah, look, there's the king. <laughs> He's acting like a king, right? So all authority has been given to me. He's telling them in heaven on earth. It's not just enough that he'd be, well, who well, sure Messiah could be, have, could be king on earth. But he can't be king in heaven. There's only one king. See, this is a very... This is a very profound thing that he's saying but he's not saying it just because you know it's like the declaration okay now you have to prove this not to be true in other words I said it so it's true now you have to prove it not to be true it's the opposite they already knew this was true when he said it how? it's resurrected from the dead (laughs) remember go to Galilee I have something you know go to Galilee I have something to meet you on the mountain to tell you Uh, so this is a this is a Simply a follow-through. By the way, you've seen it? Yes, I am king. You know, the syntax of the sentence would indicate that that it has been given to him, therefore Absolutely. it has been given to him by someone Absolutely. who did not own it prior to being given. You got that right. That's exactly true. And in fact, that's Daniel chapter 7. It says, I saw one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, on the clouds of glory. And the kingdom was given to him. Yeah, absolutely. And in Daniel uh, eleven seventeen, he was said his face to come with the power of his whole kingdom. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. But he did say that he and his father were one. Oh yes. Now yeah, we see we're we're finding the nuances, aren't we? And, and he did. And he did allow Peter. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know this 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 does cause some complications with our understanding of the idea of the Godhead and and his nature at the at the moment that this was spoken. It does, but that's only because we have difficulty in our Western minds from separating the idea of ontology, the makeup of something from function. The the Hebrew mind has no difficulty with this. When I say the Hebrew mind I'm not saying all people who have a Hebrew genes don't have difficulty. It's 
the biblical mindset is you know the form of something by its function. I know that a shovel digs because I've used it to dig things. Not by analyzing it and trying to figure out what was this all about? Right? You know? What are the nuances of this shovel? No. I just, I dig a hole and there, shovel, it digs. Right? Now, not to put God in that same category because that's so far beyond our thinking. But the Hebrew mindset says he's creator. That just kind of says it all. You know? Well, how and why? That doesn't matter. Well, how does this work? It doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's not that those questions are not important questions. It's just that they're not even asked. Because they can't be answered. That's the key. They can't be answered. Why bother? I know, we try to do it. We have statements of faith that try to do this. It's just, you know, wouldn't it have been better if all of the councils had just said, the, God, the Word of God says these things. Let's just let the Word of God speak for itself. Instead of trying to come up with a formula. The formulas are difficult. And that's the problem. Our Western mind says, I must have a formula. Let's move on. Go, uh, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. What we have here is we have <laughs> this so-called Great Commission. We have... Uh, Christian doctrine spelled out in very clear terms. Go to all the nations, that's missionaries, I'm the son of a missionary, so I'm not criticizing missionaries. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, dip it, sprinkle it, whatever, that's what it's talking about, right? No, it's not. Teaching them to observe all things that I command you. Love one another. The rest will follow. We'll, we don't even need to bring it up. Just love one another. That'll be good enough. That's hard enough, so that's hard, so that'll be good enough. Um, te- teaching the thing that, and, oh, excuse me, I said, teaching, uh, and make disciples. Where was that? Go and make disciples. What was that? You know, you know, like, get people to walk the aisle or raise their hands, right? Uh, and, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, don't worry, wherever you are, driving your car, he's right there with you. Um, you know, unfortunately, this is a this is a a cartoon of what this is saying. It is so it is so beneath the master and his and his commands to us of what this is saying. What he's saying here is far more difficult than that. And you may think that was hard. <laughs> it's far more difficult than that. What I've written on the board over here: the duties of a disciple. The duties of the disciple are to memorize the master's words. How, how, how well have I done that? Learn the master's traditions. How he reads scripture. How he sees what it says. To imitate the master. And to make disciples for the master. The institution of discipleship is not founded by Socrates. The institutional discipleship was first and best expressed from Ezra on. And what it was to be a disciple. If we follow, if we understand the Jewish tradition of discipleship, we will have a far better, and we, as we've already seen going through this book, we have a far better way of understanding what, what our duties as disciples are. And they are far different from the cartoon expression of the Great Commission, as it's called. Let's move on. I'm being harsh for a reason, because we have something harder to de- deal with here. The, the, the idea that we end this book somehow differently from we begin it, which is what the cartoon says, 
We started out as this Jewish religion, and now here we have this brand new religion being launched upon the world. And that's the opposite. It's the same message. All the way going back to the beginning of Matthew. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. He's only repeating it here. It's the same message. It's the gospel message. Go to uh, uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Matthew uses Daniel a lot, doesn't he? At least the imagery of Daniel, doesn't he? It's very acquainted with this imagery as he, as he brings it up in his discussion. Because he's kingdom-oriented. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. That's, that's temple language, y'all. All nations and languages should serve him. All nations and languages should serve him. Not just Israel, or rather, more importantly, not just Judah, the only ones that are remaining, the Jews. What does that mean? All people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is forever, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one, the one which shall not be destroyed. His kingdom is forever. By the way, when I say that temple language should serve him. That's in we, we get the uh, Eved or Avodah, worship. We get the word in English, serve, which is Avodah, the temple service. That's, that's talking about going and meeting God. That's it. All, night, all, na- all people's nations and languages serve him. That's not hard for us in a congregation that's made up of so many different ethnicities. It's not hard for us to understand that, right? You have been spoiled. Because this is difficult to understand, yes. Actually, that's a that's a great uh, great following. You can go through. There's a bunch of different places, mm-hmm. and also there's a difference. Uh, there's a difference because Daniel switches language here in the middle, also in Aramaic. There's a uh, but if you compare it to the to the apocryphal books such as uh, Enoch one, mm-hmm. there's there's uh, there's great stuff in there. I don't I, can, I don't know the answer to it, mm-hmm. but it does do. It is interesting. Oh, absolutely. It's not just the Son of Man. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's Ben and Enosh. Yeah. It's not uh, Ben Adam. Yeah. It's not just a human being. It's not just saying a human being. That's Ben Adam. Yeah. I believe believe it is a a title. That's my own feeling. Matthew, I believe, introduces Ben Adam. Enosh is like Son of a Man, like Ish. Ish. If you look through the, uh, the genealogy, you'll see right. a few generations. Yeah. 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 Enoch, which also means man. Okay. Comes from the Which also means man. Go to Isaiah 66. Oh, man, this is... Say what? I love the prophets because the prophets don't leave us hanging. They never leave us hanging. They settle, they settle it for us. People just don't like what they settle. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 18. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them 
and those among them who escape I will send to the nations, to Tarshish, to Pul, to Lud, who who draw the bow, and Tubal, and Javan, to the coastlands afar off, who have not heard my fame, nor seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Then they shall bring all their brethren for an offering to the Lord, out of all the nations, on horses and chariots and in litters, on mules and camels, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord, and I will take some of them for priests and Levites, said the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I shall make remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to you that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. By the way, that didn't switch to Sunday. It's still the Sabbath. <laughs> Micah chapter 4, verse 2. Let me ask you about some, uh, some people follow the moon, obviously, for the Sabbath. And obviously, Sabbath doesn't always land on Saturday if you follow the moon. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a pr- it's pretty easy to debunk, though. It is. Um, go to Matthew, excuse me, what did I say? Micah. Micah chapter 4, verse 2. It says, Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. This is the same thing from Isaiah chapter 2. Many nations shall come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion the Torah shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is the future. Um, but we're seeing it in Matthew chapter 28. <laughs> uh, go to Acts chapter 2. This is a wonderful time to be studying this passage right here because we're coming up on Shavuot. Nine days away. What's going to happen on Shavuot? You know, now you're thinking like a disciple. What's going to happen? On I'm not counting for no reason. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, and this was Shavuot, and Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized into the name of Yeshua, Messiah, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's that nice Christian gospel message again. What is it to baptize? Let's talk about this. (laughs) Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is on Shavuot. Where are we on Shavuot? We've done this before. Yes, ma'am. Why do we have baptized in the name of Yeshua in the book of Acts? Hmm. And in the end of Matthew, we have baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Let's talk about baptizing a little bit first, though. Because that's a bad word. It's a transliteration of the Greek word, baptizo, which means to dip. Or to die. It's like a die word. You dip it. Yes, ma'am. Hand over there. Rick, when I looked at Acts, I, I backed up to see who it was he was talking to. Yeah, who's he talking he was to? He actually talking to the house of Israel. Yes, very good. Oh, I love that. Where are we on this day of Shavuot, Acts chapter 2? Where are we? We're in the temple. Somebody's been studying. We're in the temple. We couldn't possibly fit thousands of people. And where would we dunk them? In the bathtub? <laughs> well, that's where sprinkling comes from because it's just too hard to do that many people all at once. Uh, no, I'm making fun for a reason because if you just go to Jerusalem and just walk around the Ophel or the, or the city of David, the, the ruins that are there, you see it. There's, there's mikvot. There's 
immersion pools all around the Temple Mountain. Why? Because that's what you do when you go into the temple. You have to immerse first. Everybody immersed before going into the temple. So where are these people? Where is this place? This is in the house, in this house. In, yeah, that's right. The Beit Hamikdash, the holy house. That's the Hebrew for the word temple. Beit Hamikdash, the holy house. And they had to immerse in something clean. Water they had again. That's right. Yes. It is actually it's clean. It's living water. That's right. And there were springs all around. Natural springs. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Rainwater? Yeah, rainwater can be uh, can be can can qualify too. There's a whole there's a whole formula mm -hmm. for these. Uh, and actually, if you go to Jerusalem, if you go down to uh, the Ophel, the uh, the um, the area on the south end of the Temple Mount, you can actually walk into these mikvot. They're huge. They they have a some of them not, and some do not have this, but most a lot of them are actually are like rooms. You walk in. There's an in door and an outdoor. You walk in, you walk through, and you walk out because you don't have any clothes on. So, um, Which is something else that I'm very glad that people at least that try to emulate this tradition don't follow through on. Now, it's not a witness for everybody, y'all, because they're supposed to be naked. <laughs> uh, the point is you walk in and you walk out. And, and uh, there's men and women are different. Uh, separate. When in the temple, if you go into the temple, you must be immersed. Absolutely. Why? That's right. Because God said so. But if you studied the book of Leviticus, you know it's easy. Duh. This is not a problem. I am covered with dirt. Not just dirt, but just the grime of the day. The things that are not like God. And I have to be immersed. Why? Because He's holy. That's where He is. All the way from the outside of Jerusalem inward, just like in the camp where the tabernacle was, it got holier and holier until you got to the Holy of Holies. And anytime you're going from outside those domains into the inside, you have to become holier and holier. Not holier, not sinlessness. Holy and sinlessness are not the same thing. Holy just means more like God. Or like God. So I had to be like Him. What is that? Well, he's not like the things of this world. Coming up on Shavuot, when they went to Mount Sinai, the people for three days That's right. washed themselves and their garments. That's right. And they couldn't even sleep with their wives. That's right. Absolutely right. God. Absolutely correct. This is, this is a very important point. He's not creating converts by baptism. <laughs> this is something that... <coughs> First of all, in Acts chapter 2, people don't go, what's this baptism thing? Please explain it. They immediately understand the message, repent. They understand this. The prophets have been saying it for a long time. What does repent mean? Stop disobeying God and obey Him. That's it. It doesn't mean standing up and saying, I'm sorry for all I've done. That, that's a good start. But that's not repentance. Repentance is not doing what was wrong and doing what is right. That's repentance. Repent is action. It's not a declaration. I repent. No. <laughs> Confessing your sins to one another is fine and well. Confess your sins. Excellent. Repent is not necessarily the same thing. Stop doing it. Do the right thing. So, repentance requires something. I say, I'm not going to do that. And then I start doing the right thing. What is the first thing I want to do? I want to, go, I want to go commune with God. And where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the Temple Mount. And what do I have to do first? 
I have to immerse. Look at it. He's doing the very steps that someone who's, wa- who's wanting to commune with God actually does. They, they turn their face towards Jerusalem. They go through a mikvah. And then they go into the presence of God. That's what this is. That's, that's what it is. I, want, I don't want to say that's all it is. Because the problem is that that's a really big thing. See, in our mindset, we're thinking, well, that's kind of a ritual thing. It doesn't really matter because it has to do with the outside. It's the inside that matters. Isn't that what Yeshua taught? No. What he taught was the inside is shown on the outside. And those who have repentant hearts repent the way that God says. And in that day, what do you do? I put my face towards Jerusalem. I went when he told me to go. And I went in the way that he told me to go. Clean. I immersed before I went in there. To, to immerse in the name of someone is to be identified with them. You immerse in the name of Hashem. You go up to His mountain. You become identified with Him. He's holy. I'm not. I immerse myself. It doesn't take off just dirt. It, it, is, a, it is an action that specifically says, He's holy. I'm not. But if I'm going to go into His presence, I must be. Who, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may dwell in the place of His sanctuary him with clean hands and a pure heart Psalm chapter 24 what we see is we see this is not new this is the same thing these people didn't get a new message they're getting the same message going well of course but where are they hearing it they're in the hearing in the temple mouth they're already clean so what does he do he walks them out of the temple mouth and immerses them again that's an interesting thing Peter's doing this what is he doing this for there's something more it's not just here. It is here. This is great. But Messiah is not here right now. There's something more. And in fact, that's the message that he teaches. He teaches he's coming back. This is what we're talking about in chapter 28. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. What does Yeshua teach? The first thing that he does, when he starts teaching his law, he says this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law, the Torah, or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Most people read the word fulfill and destroy is the same word. It's not the same word. They're opposites. I didn't come to destroy. I came to fulfill. So if you want to know what does fulfill mean, it means not destroy. Not, oh, I accomplished it. Now long, now longer pay attention. You know, don't listen anymore. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one yod and one tittle will by no means pass from the Torah till all is fulfilled. Don't say I came to destroy it or abolish it or replace it. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments, which commandments? When someone has to ask which commandments, they don't get it. I'm serious. If you ask that question, you're not getting it. That's what the, that's what the, what's called the rich one you, young ruler says in Matthew chapter 19. Which ones? Which ones? The le- if someone breaks one of the least of these commandments, what is the least commandment? Traditionally, what's the least commandment? It has to do with the, the bird and the, and the mother bird. Don't take the, the, the little bird with the mother bird watching. Right? God cares for the sparrows. The least of these commandments. And teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, let's listen to what, what Yeshua says. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, Go into all nations. Make disciples. Let's make disciples. Make them like this. Memorize my words. Learn my traditions. 
imitate me and raise disciples like that. Raise disciples like that. Like I've taught you, I want you to raise disciples like that. Not for yourself, but for me. That's what he says. Go make disciples. What does he say? Go make disciples, do what? Immerse them. How? Immerse them. Because it's not a separate thing. You're not, you're not sending people out to be pagans. You're, you're, you're immersing them. They are to be the followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same one whose presence dwells on the Temple Mount. Forever will I place my name there. That one. I think it's wonderful to immerse people in a swimming pool or whatever. Uh, well, you know, I don't, I don't think. First of all, this is not, this is not, God's presence is not here in the sense that you're talking about. Immersion is not required simply because we're all together. Okay. There are places for immersion, and if you want to know, go back to the Book of Leviticus. Okay. I, I think it applies absolutely, absolutely. I believe, I believe that immersion, as described in the Book of Leviticus, it's actually just, it's actually just, just simply washing, is is absolutely, absolutely applicable, absolutely. Uh, but, uh, let's move on, because I want to get to the rest of this too. Immersing, immersing them. Uh, it is an identification. Holy, because I'm not like me. I'm not holy. Instead, when I go into God's presence, I have to be like Him. Clean. I'm recognizing that in myself, I am incapable of being in His presence. That's the point. That's the point. So it's an identification with Him. Teaching them all that is commanded. What is He teaching them? He says... I taught you this way. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So what should you teach? The same thing I taught you. I don't think it's truncated or modified. You know, that's my opinion. But um, I think I have some pretty good words to go on here, though. What is it? What, what, what's wrong with... And I, and, I, and I hate to use this term poorly, but what's wrong with the Great Commission? What have we not done well? We made great converts. You're right, though. We didn't make very good disciples. What do we teach him to do? The Holy Spirit will tell you what to do. Well, you know, he will. But what is he going to say? These words I command you today. <laughs> That's right. Do you remember a few years ago? <laughs> well, that was the bottom one here. Make, or the third one. Imitate the master. Somebody asked me that. She said she was teaching a class and one of the kids asked a question. She didn't know what the answer is. Do Torah? Yeah, there you go. What did he do? What did he do? Yeah, absolutely. Do, do what he told you to do. In all nations, though, this is the difficulty. And this is where it really gets a little bit ugly. Because this is where the message fell apart. And this is my contention is the epistles were, writ were written to correct the misunderstanding of how all nations are to be a part of this. Uh, that, that there was a lot of tradition that was keeping nations out. That were keeping those who were drawn to God away. Uh, a fence around the Temple Mount. Uh, you could go into the first part, what was called the Court of the Gentiles, but if you weren't Jewish, you couldn't go any further. You could even bring an offering, but you couldn't bring it into the presence of God. You had to hand it over the fence to somebody else to bring. You could come to the Temple Mount. Imagine that. You could come to the Temple Mount as, a God, as one who feared God, and yet you could not offer the offering. You had to hand it over the fence. This... 
this idea that that we were, we, that that we were as Gentiles were kept out was 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 in fact I believe what the vast majority of the epistles are written up. But remember, Matthew chapter 28, they didn't get it because it took 10 years for, for Peter to get it. <laughs> and it took a vision for him to get it. So, it's not so easy. It's not so easy for them. It's easy for us because we have this looking back or easier for us. Let's move on. Acts chapter 15, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. This is one of the songs of Moses which says, Who is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Uh, Moses, after the deliverance of, each of Israel from, 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 from bondage, the first hint that God is the king is, because in the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, and then later on in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy, what is the, what is the title that God is, that God is given and afforded? It is to be king. King. You know, up until that time, he's creator. To be king. And we saw in, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we looked at this last week shortly, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, remember when Israel wanted a king, what did God say to Samuel? They've rejected me as their king. You know, it's so the idea that, that there to be a king. And then God then promises David, the second king, that his line would be forever. You know, and the idea that there's somehow this way that God's kingship and the Davidic kingship can somehow be merged or be one. It's impossible. It is impossible to our human minds. That's why it shouldn't be answered. The question shouldn't be answered. The questions that come to mind don't matter. All that matters is he's king. God is king. Yeshua as Messiah is king. He is God's son, declared to be as God's son by his resurrection from the dead. What is the good news message? What's the gospel message? That's it. It's no different from any other time we've read it. Go to Psalm chapter 40. We've got to stop here shortly. So. Psalm chapter 40. You've got to go share the gospel message. Let's share this gospel message with everybody. What is the gospel message? Psalm chapter 40, verse 7 says, Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I did not restrain my lips. O oh Lord, you yourself know. Go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Yeshua began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is exactly the same message that, yeah, that uh, Yochanan, John, taught. Repent. The word there, or the, or the word for, for gospel, the good news, uh, in Psalm chapter 40, I've told you in the, in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew Scriptures, the good news there is the gospel is, in fact, uh, the idea that he's king. The good news. Go to uh, Isaiah chapter 52. It's there as well. That was the first bell, right? Yeah. Isaiah 52, 7. You may know this verse well. Maybe you'll see it in a different light. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's that same word. It's the word that we translate in English as gospel. It's the Greek word in the Septuagint, or in the Hebrew here, it's just good news, the Sora. Who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaim, proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is from the Bedtime Shema. 
you pray the bedtime Shema before you go to bed every night, this is it. Your God reigns. God reigns. He has reigned. He will reign for all eternity. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Boy, people stop too soon in every verse almost. When, what's the good news? Salvation to Zion. When the Lord brings back the captives to Zion. That's the gospel message. The good news is repent. The king is coming. And the king is going to come and he's going to bring back the captives to Zion. That's amazing. Wow. You know, and you thought it was all about you. It is, in a way. But it's not all about you. The gospel salvation is not just about you. It's about a whole plan that God had from the beginning. To find a people, to choose a people, and to reveal himself to the world through those people. A light to the nations. Why? So that they could know there's a way back to the garden. There's a way back. We lost it through our own disobedience. But we can find it back again because he's revealed his way to us. We can be clean. Not just immersed in the sense that we immerse in order to go up into the temple or the tabernacle, but we can be clean. We can have our sins washed so that we can be clean. We can go into the very presence of God. Not just in the temple as awesome as that will be, but into this very presence as it was in the garden where we walk with him. This idea that, that uh, he is king um, is far different from the way that we often hear these gospel stories presented. How do we hear it? You know, we, we hear people say very accurately, he's my savior. That, that's true. That's absolutely true. And it's so important Personally, that's so important. But it is not below that that he's my Lord, is what people say. He's my master. He's the king. That's the first thing. He's the king. He's the king. That's, he's the king. He's the master. We're the disciples. He's the master. The relationship works that way, right? What's the, what's the disciple supposed to do? He's supposed to abandon everything. That's what they did. They left their families. They went and followed this teacher for several years. That's the tr- you know, that's the traditional way. You went and followed the teacher for several years. And then what could you do? After you were learned, then you would raise up disciples too. And every time you made a reference, you always said, my teacher, so-and-so. That's where in the Talmud you get these like five different teachers in a row. <laughs> my teacher, who is also his teacher, is the, and then his teacher. and then But it goes all the way back to Ezra. <laughs> you know, the idea that we... That we are making disciples for our master, Yeshua, is very important. And this is what he sent us to do. Um, one more thing and then we're going to quit. Go to Acts chapter 10. You thought we were studying Matthew. You, you've been in this class long enough to know that's not true. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. <laughs> uh, because my father was a Gentile, and I claim to be of the nations. This is a very, very important chapter for me. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day as they went up, <coughs> went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. About the sixth hour. What hour is that? Noon? 
right? Noon. And he became, he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descended to him and let down to the earth. It was... It, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. He knows Leviticus. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Unfortunately, people stop reading there, right? Uh, Look, you can eat pig. <laughs> um, that's not what this verse is about. Or this chapter is not only is that not what it says. First of all, what was the voice from heaven? If an angel comes and preaches another gospel, as Paul says, what should we do? Say no. If a prophet comes and teaches you ways in order to lead you away from the things that I've taught you, what should you do? Stone that prophet. Right? So, should Peter have listened to this voice from heaven? In fact, there's very good evidence in the Talmud that deals with this. A voice from heaven. It says, if a voice from heaven comes and says, Eliezer is right. Listen to Eliezer. What should he do? And all the rabbis respond, we will do what is written. Not what we hear from heaven. How can we know who's speaking from heaven? Right? He'll do what's written. If a voice from heaven comes and says, tells you to do something, say, you know God has told you not to, a voice told me to leave my wife. What should you do? Say no. What did Peter do? He said no. Was Peter wrong? He was right. This is not a relieving of the Levitical law. What we have here is in fact something different. And Peter tells us what it's all about. Look at verse 28. Then he said to them, speaking to Gentiles, you know how unlawful... By the way, that's not unlawful like is in the Torah. It teaches us to stay away from Gentiles because it doesn't. Tradition said to stay away from Gentiles. How unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with one or go to a, one of another nation. But God has shown me I should not call any man common or unclean. Why? Because God never said they were. God never said Gentiles were unclean. So why were we calling them unclean? That was wrong. What did Peter learn? Peter learned the difference between what is commanded and what is tradition. And when the two are in conflict, you must choose what is commanded. And so Peter immediately makes this, you know, the light bulb goes on. Gentiles are included? That's impossible. But God said so. This is, and now he's reading the prophets with whole new eyes. He actually and always intended Gentiles to be part of Israel. That's an amazing thing. Romans chapter 11, if we had time, we don't. Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, okay. Well, she's trying to hurry me up. Ephesians chapter 2 is especially good. You, as Gentiles, were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. Had no place in the promises of God. You could claim nothing of what God promised. But through Yeshua... He has brought you near, sacrificial language. He has brought you to the very presence of God so that you are now Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. So that the body of Messiah should not be two, but one. It's not that all the Jews become Gentiles. That's the traditional Christian view. And it's not that all the Gentiles should become Jews. That's some other Messianic view. It's that the two become one. We're Israel. We all of us are 
descendants of Abraham. Um, the king's coming. The call to repent. Prepare for his arrival. Uh, it started just like we start. It ends just like we started. The question is, as his disciples, are we willing, first of all, to obey what he said, to repent? And are we willing to teach others in the same way? If we do, then we will be acting out that very thing that he taught us to do. And we say from the close of every book of the Torah, we say, Chazak, Chazak, Chazak. Be strong, be strong, and let us be strengthened. Let's close in God's word. Uh, close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for uh, the strong message that Yeshua has given to us. It is a challenge. We know this is a difficult thing. We know that to uh, leave father and mother, husband, wife, children, and follow you is difficult. Uh, many of us face that. And Father, we ask that you might be gracious to us. That you might uh, give us the comfort of knowing that following you always has reward. And Father, we uh, thank you that you have called us, that we've heard your voice, that we've been separated and that we've been drawn to you. Father, as we come to you, I ask that you uh, uh, anoint each one uh, in this room as they come to you, Father, that you would reward them uh, with a clear understanding of your requirements for them, that you would reward them, that they may know clearly uh, what you have said. And Father, that you would reward them with obedience. I pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. See you here next week.